you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe to us on YouTube, and uh, also be sure to give us a review on iTunes. We have some great reviewers that we certainly love that put some uh, great reviews up over the past week. Uh, you can go to iTunes, go into the reviewer section, and uh uh, give it five stars, if you would, please, and tell people to like it. That helps us get more eyeballs to the show as well. Uh, you can go to the CBPN, of course, or YouTube.com, Forecast Chris Voss, if you want to watch the video version of this uh, thing. And we've got a uh, most excellent author on today. We've got a lot of great authors lately that the publishing companies have been sending us. But this gentleman's written several books. I'm going to give us some interesting insight. Uh, his name is David Goodwillie. He's the author of The American Subversive, a New York Times notable book of the year, and the memoir seemed like a good idea at the time. He's written for the New York Times, New York Magazine, and Newsweek, among other publications. He's also been drafted to play professional baseball, worked as a private investigator, and was an expert at Sotheby's Auction House. He's a graduate of Kenyon College and... Uh, lives in Brooklyn, and he's the author of the newest book, The King's Country, a novel. And uh, this is pretty awesome. Welcome to the show, David. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me, Chris. i got to get the, the product placement here perfectly. Like King's so that... County, which is actually the real name of the borough of Brooklyn. Awesome. Is, uh, nobody knows. And if you get, you only find out when you get your jury summons for the first time, and it says uh, King's <laughs> County Courthouse. And that's how you find out what Brooklyn's real name is. You know, when I was reading it, I was like, there's counties in Brooklyn? Yeah. I, that didn't, I was like. Borough is a county. So, like, uh, oh. Manhattan is New York County. Queens is Queens County. Uh, but nobody ever knows that. So. No, I was called Brooklyn. <laughs> but I'm not from there. And you are. Uh, you live in Brooklyn. I am in Brooklyn right this second, yeah. So, David, give us some plugs where people can order your book on, uh, on the interwebs and find out uh, more about you. Sure. It actually comes out tomorrow, uh, July 28th, uh, from Simon & Schuster. And uh, you can find out more information on davidgoodwillie.com. And that's G-O-O-D-W-I-L-L-I-E. Uh, and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. is just at Goodwillie, my last name. And um, you can order it. Uh, you know, we all, every author loves, um, if you go to an independent bookshop and order it, because they're struggling right now. Only about half of them are open in the country. Um, but some of them have curbside service. Some of them you can get in, and it uh, depends where you live. But uh, definitely try to order from your local bookstore if you can. Obviously, Amazon, bookshop.org, uh, wherever you get your books. Independent, uh, support the independent folks, especially right now with this COVID-19 crap going on. Absolutely. So this is a book that's uh, kind of a love letter to, to Brooklyn and New York City back in the early 2000s. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Nice. So uh, what, what could you start in book writing? You've written a few books. So before we get into it, let's get into a little bit about you, if you don't mind. Sure. I, uh, I have a very, every writer has a very different path to becoming a writer, a book writer. Uh, I didn't start writing until I was like 30 years old. I moved to New York after a very brief and 
unsuccessful baseball career and, uh, um, you know, had the weirdest jobs in the world. I was a private investigator for the world's largest investigative firm, which is called mm-hmm. Coral Associates, which does like, uh, they don't follow like cheating spouses around. They follow like money around the world at a very high level and oh. ransom and stuff like that. Oh, wow. uh, and that was, I kind of wanted to like find out what the underbelly of the city looked like. And that was a great way to kind of do that. <laughs> I thought I was gonna be a great investigative journalist and all that stuff. And then uh, I got into the auction world at Sotheby's. I was um, rode the dot-com boom up and down, but mm-hmm. I'd always, I'd moved to New York to become a writer, to, to be in the arts and uh, I just didn't know anyone in publishing. I just didn't have that entree into it. And then, of course, you get to be old enough, and you figure out that writing something might actually help. So uh, <laughs> I turned 30 and decided I didn't, I didn't have the confidence, nor did I really know how to write a novel. But I'd had this really weird eight years post-college. And maybe I could write a book about early failure and about, like, um, trying and failing and try- and finally getting to a place where you get, which is of course the book you end up with. And that was my first book uh, called seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a, it's a, like a, it's like the Seinfeld of books. Like it's kind of about nothing and everything at the same time. And uh, uh, it's a very episodic story about becoming what you want to be, but also about the idea that not all of us should know what we're doing at age 22. And yeah. maybe we shouldn't be married at age 23 and all this stuff. And that, maybe life should be figured out a little bit before we settle into these uh, more routine parts of our adulthood. And uh, that's what that book was. And then after that, all of a sudden I, I was a published author and um, you know, for someone who wants to be literary, a novel is the kind of gold standard. And then I started writing novels after that. And this is my second novel. So it was a roundabout way to becoming an author, but also uh, unlike most arts, like there are no great 23 year old writers. Like there are great 23 year old actors and actresses. There are great 23 year old painters, musicians, but like there needs to be a a kind of a lived life situation to becoming an author. You need something to actually be able to talk about uh, in the books. There you go. My problem is I'm getting sold. I'm starting to forget stuff. Like, (laughs) right. So you got this really meaty, there's about 10 years there where you can really get something done. I know why Hemingway shot himself at 52 (laughs) or 53. Um, the uh, well, you've had an interesting career. I mean, professional baseball, uh, being drafted for that. Private investigator. It's kind of funny. I watched Chinatown for the umpteenth time last night. Yeah. Uh, what a movie! And uh, and then uh, Sotheby's auction house. Like that whole like that whole resume right there is kind of like. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of, and one thing led to another because I had had this baseball uh, kind of career. Sotheby's in the late nineties was, you know, and Sotheby's is a very fancy auction house that sells million dollar paintings and jewelry and all that stuff. But uh, as the internet was taking off in the late nineties, they wanted to be, uh, they wanted to sell everything they could. So they started selling like uh, more interesting, but lesser priced items like rock and roll memorabilia and sports memorabilia. And I kind of just knew sports stuff. Like I'd grown up collecting baseball cards and, oh, wow. and uh, understood what the value of a Babe Ruth signed baseball kind of was. And what I didn't know, I very much learned on the job, but it was, uh, abs- you know, and it's like when the, anything in New York, you, um, you know, you learn about society too at, at Sotheby's. You learn about like a, kind of the culture of the city and how everything works, uh, even though it's the strangest entree, which would be sports into that, into that world. So uh, it, was, it was great, but, you know, I did it for two years and then realized it wasn't, you know, it was also kind of a glorified garage sale. You're selling just people's stuff again and again and again. And I'm not sure that that's what I wanted to do with my life. 
Well, you know, selling other people's crap, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, yeah, $20 million crap, but still. <laughs> 20, yeah. Well, it's crap to them. They're obviously unloading it, right? <laughs> the, yeah, they need exactly. the cash. Yeah, right. They've got a Coke problem and they need the cash. I don't know. There's all, uh, kinds, all kinds of reasons people get rid of their stuff. It's cool. Well, in Sotheby's, they call it the three Ds, death, death, and divorce. Oh, yeah, divorce, the divorce yeah. thing, yeah. That wow. is, that's the three big reasons right there. That'll do that. I can't even afford to be married. Yes, drugs. Maybe drugs is the fourth D. Yes, Maybe drugs. drugs is the fourth D. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So this, uh, I, I imagine being a private investigator in New York and the scenarios you're talking about, <clears throat> that really gave you an interesting kind of gritty sort of, you know, stuff to help you write this book, right? He very much so. All my books have been very New York based, which I mm-hmm. never mean to do, but you know, it's the world I know. And uh, uh, being a private investigator allows you to kind of, or allowed me, I had to get into all kinds of circumstances and neighborhoods and jobs I need, or work I knew nothing about. And when you move to a city like New York, you very quickly find your your crowd and your your geographic like center, and uh, you can kind of live here for a very long time without exploring stuff and without meeting people outside of your orbit and uh doing that you know i met all kinds of people i met the richest of the rich i met the poorest of the poor i met the municipal new york with the courts and and the downtown governmental parts of new york and city hall and then um worked in all kinds of boroughs and i was the kind of you know, uh, uh, Kroll Associates is what it's called. It's the largest investigative still agency in the world. It's like a private government almost. And uh, actually the um, the comedian Nick Kroll is the son of the founder. Nobody really knows that. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And it, it, they kind of operate like a big law firm where they have all these uh, satellite offices around the world. And it's, um, you know, they follow when uh, Saddam Hussein um, left Kuwait. And he took all their gold and mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. government didn't care. And Kuwait, once the dust literally settled, looked around and wanted their money back. They hired Kroll Associates to go trace to the crap. economic tracing to find the actual gold bars, stuff like wow. that. I wasn't That's working crazy. on those cases, but I worked on mob cases around downtown New York. Mm-hmm. And that stuff was absolutely fascinating. And it, it is the exact kind of thing, to get back to your question, that led me to become a writer. I always kind of have this thousand yard view of everything in my life and and i'm always interested in all of those kind of um how scenarios might play out and stuff awesome sauce so let's get in the meat of uh king's county a novel you guys can check it out on amazon and other independent sellers it's out uh today or tomorrow uh, tomorrow, tomorrow. tomorrow it's out tomorrow you can probably pre-order it still and it's got a lot of great praise on it in reading the back of the book and some of the other things that were online for it so uh it looks like it's going to be a hot one uh, I hope so. Um, it is a love story uh, at the end of the day about two people who move to New York and are very unlike each other uh, and fall deeply in love. And I've always been interested in the New York origin story. What makes a person move to a city like New York from a small town or from a suburb when so many other people stay behind? And it doesn't have to be New York. It could be Chicago, L.A., Austin, wherever. But there's something about that person that takes that risk and moves to a city. And I've always found, and this is a gross generalization, but the most interesting people to me in a city are the ones that didn't come from that city and have this story of knockabout story of getting to New York. And it meant, it meant that much to them, whether they want to be in finance or in the arts, doesn't matter. It's like this, uh, there's just some extra thing to those, those people. And so uh, the two main characters, it's a woman named Audrey Benton who uh, works in, for a music label in Brooklyn, 
at the exact moment that uh, the indie music scene is taking off in the early 2000s uh, in Williamsburg and those uh, neighborhoods near Manhattan. Uh, and Theo Gorski, who is a guy from a mill town in Massachusetts, whose dream it is to kind of rise above his station and be, and break into the patrician world of books, uh, which is still to this day quite you know white and upper class, and uh, is just now starting to diversify. Uh, but these two people fall madly in love, but of course they have paths that trail after them, and those paths end up being the plot of the book. Uh, because they can't quite outrun them. And um, it comes to affect their relationship greatly. Uh, and the book is about them. But as you said, it's also about New York City and a specific time in Brooklyn uh, between 2000 and 2010 when uh, indie music, uh, you know, kind of the last gasp before hip hop took over the world, uh, you know, bands like The Strokes and Interpol and Vampire Weekend, uh, uh, TV on the radio, these bands were kind of, all geographically based within one or two square miles of each other. Hmm. And it was fascinating. I actually lived in Manhattan. I didn't live in Brooklyn at that time, but I would go over there and you could tell there was a movement happening and it was geographically based. And everyone was, who was in, into that was coming from everywhere else to that specific place. And it happens, I think, about once a decade. Uh, and you can go all the way back to the 50s in, in Nashville the 60s in uh, San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, the 70s in Laurel Canyon in LA, the 80s in Detroit, the 90s in Seattle, and then on and on and on. And in the 2000s, it was Brooklyn for sure. And it's, to me, fascinating when you happen upon an American cultural moment because uh, mm -hmm. they don't happen that often. And I would also posit that that might be the very last one musically because after that, music became fully digital mm -hmm. and it wasn't the geographic thing anymore. Everybody can make songs on their laptops right now, just like we're, I'm talking to you through my laptop. <laughs> they are. Uh, and so you don't need that camaraderie anymore. You don't necessarily like uh, uh, have to be in one place. And so to me, that's, that, that was fascinating to live in a city and watch that a bit from afar, uh, but still be a part of it. And uh, so that uh, context is uh, what these two characters are, are living amidst is this great artistic kind of flowering. So it's uh, that's always been fascinating to me and, and the reason this book became. Uh, I think so, too. I grew up when I was young. I, it was always about getting to the big city. And uh, and and you always, you know, you had this romanticism. And I think a lot of people do about moving to New York or going to L.A. and making it big. Uh, you know, if that's if you want to be an actor, actress, model, I suppose. Um, of course, there's, you know, great modeling in New York, or at least there used to be. I don't know if it's still what it what it <clears throat> was at one time. Seems like everyone on Instagram is a model these days. <laughs> so, they can be I'm, in their living room too, and they Yeah, even I'm posting my bikini pictures. Right. So, but no one wants to see that. Uh, but no, there's always this romanticism people have about moving to New York. I think I, I kicked it around sometime in my youth, and and you know everyone has that dream of going there and making it big, and and uh, you know you see the. You see the real estate that you have to start out with if you first go there. I mean, you definitely have to have some yeah. money here, or you're definitely going to be, uh, you if know. The city can it looks like it can swallow you, and it can swallow you. Yeah. Uh, I get asked a lot when I'm – usually you go on a book tour. Uh, this year, obviously, I'm not because of circumstances. But uh, uh, you go on a book tour, and I, I'm reading in Chicago or Wichita or wherever it is, and always somebody asks, I want to be a writer. Do you think I should move to New York? 
And the answer, I think, is quite obviously, no, you don't. You can write from anywhere. And sometimes some perspective and some uh, space is a good thing to have. Uh, but at the same time, I found for me, and I didn't go to graduate school for writing, but I still found that being in the community, mm. in the city where it was all happening, was a huge help. Uh, the, all the publishers are here. All the magazines were here. All the newspapers are here. All the agents are here. And it's still, and most industries are, a people industry. No matter how great your writing is, no matter what, it helps to meet people. It helps to, like, go to parties and take that risk and go up and introduce yourself to somebody and say, hey, I read your magazine. I would love to send you something. Or, you know, I read the books that you're an agent for. I think, you know, could I email you tomorrow? And, and that's still, to this day, how people get their breaks. I mean, it's the same thing for acting. It's the same thing in music. Like you have to have the talent. Once the email comes through to that person, you have to have written something good, but you need that break and that you're going to get them face to face with people as opposed to emailing them from afar. That sounds like when I lived in LA and uh, like everyone would want to give you the screen or their screenplay. Of course, <laughs> just, of course, yeah. like, I mean, then, I don't want to be the agent in that circumstance. <laughs> no yeah, kidding. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be either because you're just getting pitched. But yeah, and then and then the and then the uh, uh, the name dropping and the I was on a set yesterday with Clint Eastwood and you're like, exactly. I mean, yeah, what was I, the extras uh, food table like? Um, <laughs> it's yeah. like and I think acting is definitely the worst. Or LA is the worst for that. But it happens in every industry, and there's pretenders, and there's the people that are really talented, and they're usually the ones that can't speak up at parties because they're freaked out and sweating profusely in a corner. Yeah. Like it's, uh, but yeah, of course that happens. I would, I would just, I would just always stand there, and you know, they get around to me like, "Well, what did you do today on the set, Chris?" And I'd be like. <laughs> I don't know. I have a real job or something. I don't know. It's pretty <laughs> funny, but uh, no, it, it's really cool that you have this and the romanticism. I mean, that's the thing that New York has always kind of had that that big city, the big lights, the everything about it. There's there's always something that's bigger than life about New York City, yeah. and uh, I think you know, like I said, I learned a couple of things. I I learned that there's you know counties in the boroughs. <laughs> in brooklyn of manhattan I, I had no idea i was just like i don't know the island right, exactly. there's that but you know i'm some you know backwoods from uh, uh from the west side of america um yeah. but, but i also uh, as you were saying earlier this book is a very um uh it's very specific and it evokes the place i'm writing about i don't mind uh i will sacrifice i don't need to have like da vinci code plot 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 page turn page turn i want character development. I want my readers to know where the story is taking place and have them feel like they are in the story, that they know the environment that the action is taking place in. And mm -hmm. I don't mind, and this comes with a bit of experience, I think, as a writer, I don't mind taking my time a bit to get the reader fully invested in the story and to the point where the restaurants and the books are real restaurants. The streets are real streets. Um, there'll be every once in a while a celebrity cameo that's like actually the person that was probably there at that moment, you know, like uh, and I'll make up stuff. It's fiction, of course, but that is important to me is to get that reader to totally trust what you're writing and what you're uh, giving them as a context and as a geographic place. And, and I love how you put in the detail. Like I told you, I, I had to read it kind of slow because there's a lot of details there and it paints this uh, beautiful picture, especially at the start of the book that made me feel kind of, what was that uh, club in the 70s? Club 57 or? Uh, Studio 54. Studio 54. I was close. Uh, three yeah. points, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting old, man. This this detail. Um, <laughs> it was all that Coke we did there. No, I'm just kidding. With the, there certainly but, wasn't a lot there, yeah. Yeah. 
So their actual logo was a moon with a coke screw. Yeah, there you go. So when I was reading the first chapter and getting into it, that's kind of the feel, even though it's in the 2000s. But I was just kind of feeling that sort of vibe where it was that, that, you know, the whole club thing and the scene and and everything else. It opens up and there's a band. uh, It opens up a band has just had a huge performance. It's it's a breakout performance. And it opens up in in a, which is actually a real place called the Boom Boom Room at the top of the Standard Hotel in the Meatpacking District of New York City. Uh, And it opens up, the band is coming to celebrate at this huge club at midnight after their show. And there's all these people coming and going, their manager's there and he's all screwed up. And like the the band is really this bunch of Brooklyn brothers and friends and they don't want to be there, but they have to be. And it's this scene that I've always wanted to write and I think is one of the hardest to write, which is a big party scene or a big scene where you're introducing 10 or 15 characters at once, but you're also kicking the plot off and you're also trying to, you know, there's like five different things you're trying to do as an author that if you can pull off, it's great. Mm -hmm. And this gives you this immense, like uh, kind of roaring start to the book, but is always very difficult to do because you got to keep everybody straight. You don't want the reader wondering who's, who's this, who's that, what's going on. I don't understand. Uh, but that was, I'd always wanted to start a book like that. And this was my big chance to do that. And so you are thrown into this club with, with music going and you, some guys trying to order drinks and you can't get to the bar and like all this annoying stuff that is intensely New Yorky uh, happens in that first chapter. And then the book kind of slows down for a minute and then, and, and you get to know the characters, but I wanted to just throw the reader into this kind of ridiculous New York scene. Well, the description is everything I've ever experienced at clubs, the craziness, the, yeah. the, uh, the insanity, you know, everything coming at you at once you're there, either chasing girls or I don't know. Well, you're always there chasing girls, but yeah, you know, you're always there for the possibility, just like you moved to, Ve- uh, you moved to, uh, <laughs> I want to say Vegas cause there are people do move to Vegas. For I Vegas. mean, I feel like Vegas is the last place, even New York doesn't really have clubs like that. Vegas still does, but it's, it's always a weird thing. Cause everybody's just there for the weekend. Right. So, yeah. It's not, always not, transitional. Yeah. It's so transitional, but uh, New York doesn't really, the, the club scene in New York has finally started to evaporate, I think, which is... Uh, is it really? So it's just becoming, yeah, it was, it became a, extent, right, it's becoming it a tourist town? It was, very, like, it was very classist at the end because it was yeah. just, you know, you paid money to get in. It was, you know, $300 for a bottle of vodka. And nobody could afford it except for, you know, guys in the finance world. And then yeah. it was called Models and Bottles. And it was just really lame. And there was no... Like Studio 54, there might have been a big... And I was, thankfully, a bit too young for it. But uh, in the late 70s, there was... The, the people they let in were the most interesting looking people, the ones who were dressed crazily or just, you know, had ridiculous hairdos or just had the style or were funny. And those are the ones that got in along with the Diana Rosses and Paul Simons and whatever the world back then. But uh, club scene, the club scene and uh, kind of morphed into kind of tragic, comic, ridiculous everything yeah. you know, and lost its edge. And of course in New York, when something loses its edge, it becomes pretty lame pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> And so cocktail bars and stuff started up after that. And, and just, you know, the, the nightlife thing moves on. There you go. Uh, New York is a fun place to, to visit. I mean, it, it's fun. It's, it's an interesting life, especially in the nightlife. Yeah. Like there, we, we flew in one time for uh, JBL and Harmon Carden. Uh, and uh, we, we, we were at some hotel and we were pretty much locked down because we were drinking every night until about 4 a.m. And even there was even a, like a nightclub scene at the hotel yeah. in the lobby. Yeah, there were just so girls. Many that would, you can arrive and like not even need a guide for you. Just 
wander out and you, yeah. and you end up somewhere that you remember for the rest of your life. Like we were, we were at the, we're in the hotel and like the girls would just come in and we're like, we don't have to leave cause there's girls here. Right. And, uh, they would just come in and, and you're like, so where are you from? And they're like, oh, we drove out, you know, from, you know, an hour or two away. And you're like, yeah. you drove in and you went, instead of going to like a club, you went to like a hotel and you're yeah. just hanging out in the lobby. And yeah. I don't know, there's richer people passing through expensive hotels. Or yeah. When I go on a book tour, it's always much more interesting to read to people that aren't from or in New York. And I'm mm-hmm. in St. Louis or some city. And my book wants them that makes them want to go to New York and visit yeah. New York. And that to me, it, it's also nice to have people from New York be like, Oh, your book's totally true to life. But that's, it's more fun to have people kind of a bit wide eyed being like, wow, that really made me want to go to New York or maybe not want to go to New York at all. But <laughs> I, really, I believed that I was there with you, whatever it is. Uh, it, it's, it, it's some visceral response to New York, which I enjoy. Well, there's always that romanticism about New York. I mean, every, yeah. you know, between Sinatra and (laughs) singing about it and everybody, the dream of going to the big city. I mean, it's the top pinnacle of, of America when it comes down to it. It's where all the money is, where everything is. I tend to write pretty contemporary stuff, but it is littered with history. There's a scene in this book where the, the girl is walking down uh, 28th street. I, I think it's 28th street. And, you know, she works in music, but she works in indie music and a very contemporary thing, but she comes across this plaque on the sidewalk and it said this is the original tin pan alley and she's oh, wow. like and you know tin pan alley the gershwin the you know the old kind of you know the songbook of america and it was in this random street where these buildings where everybody wrote these songs and um she didn't know but she stops and looks at it and it's just like two worlds passing each other and and wow. uh, and i love those those new york moments because they happen in real life all the time you see an old faded image of an advertising poster from the twenties. It's still on a wall somewhere next to like graffiti. That was just, you know, it was beautiful uh, tagging graffiti that was just put up a week ago. And it's just that kind of, that's New York to me is that, that history kind of living alongside the contemporary world. And the fantasy or the romance uh, or the, um, I don't know what other good word is for that, of moving to New York and going through the process of the characters in the book too and the, and the challenges. And, you know, that's the thing I've always wondered. You, If you go there, it's a, it's a hell of a crapshoot. You don't, you know, I, I mean, I've had some people that are like, I'm just going to go there and find success. And you're just like, how? And it's like, I don't know, I just go there first. And you're just like, it's jumping off the deep end, but uh, good luck to you. It's so, and so the characters kind of go through that process where they, where they're walking from, you know, their background in New York and, and, uh, feeling their way around and, and, you know, stumbling and everything else. Both of them are here for 10 years, I think, before they meet each other almost. And, uh, those 10 years, they go through almost everything that you can imagine, but they find each other. And that's kind of where the book starts. And it has flashbacks going back to their, uh, uh previous years before they meet each other but then like they meet each other and that's when the hard part almost starts because they fall so deeply in love that like once that starts to get derailed because of uh the woman Audrey's past um you're like oh my god they went through all of this all that stuff in new york the the joblessness the you know kind of you know uh, the issues with friends with with romance all this stuff to find each other and then they're gonna like not make it as a couple and like that's you know, that's New York for you. It throws stuff at you again and again and again. And um, 
it's luck, it's perseverance, it's your personality, it's, it's the industry you decide to get into, it's what, whether how ambitious you are, all this stuff kind of combines to make a New York story. And of course, it's such a cliche, but there's so many of them. And it's um, always fascinating to me, always. And the people from the teens and 20s and 30s are having the exact same experiences. If you read old novels, that mm-hmm. the people are today, they're trying to find that first job, they're getting ripped off at apartment buildings, they're, uh, you know, stuck in the wrong neighborhood at two in the morning trying to figure out how the hell to get home. That stuff still happened back then. And it's just this Great continuation in the same way if you're a baseball fan that the stats from Babe Ruth's era mean still mean something today. Like it's a very it's a great continuation of a story, which I always loved. New York City, the giant mountain, the cultural mountain or something yeah. you have to climb and and yeah, throw yourself into. But it's an interesting journey and it's a great it's a great book you've written here um that tells the story of these guys and, and you know the the wonderful love story of life where you you uh you know, there's, there's gain and then there's loss. Yeah. And we all seem to go through those cycles. Right. And we were talking before we started the show a little bit about uh, writing and how you get into it, what you want to write about. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, I start very specific, uh, kind of almost specifically with one word that I want to write about that I haven't before. And uh, uh, I would consider myself like a literary author, I guess, although I like to write suspense and mystery and there's all of that in, in this book, but um, I want to write something very different every time too. And that's very important to me. I don't want to write the same character 10 times in a row. And this book would be about, I would say love. And I wanted to write that love story. And it was the central tenet of it. As I was writing the book over several years, uh, the book before this was political. And it was about a, a couple who become kind of political radicals on the left and get in a lot of trouble. And uh, my next book will, I think be about money and like this, uh, how money affects people down through generations. But uh, it's a very interesting way to um, decide what what you're going to write about and who you're going to be and how a city influences you is to is to take um, is to take a very broad subjects and boil them down and then uh, you know you're talking about when you you kind of are quite interested in writing yourself I don't know if you tell your listeners that but uh, yeah. it, uh, a lot of listeners want to are interested in writing and want to figure out how do I start? How do I get going? And uh, it can be as easy as taking one word or taking a, an idea or taking a person you want to write about if you want to write memoir or nonfiction. And, um, and starting that way, starting very broadly, and the story kind of comes from these basic ideas, these walks I take around the city, these characters I can't get out of my head, people in real life who you're just like, they can be total people you hate or people you love, but people you can't get out of your head that you kind of need to like, you can release them a bit through writing. And that to me is uh, uh, one of the reasons I am a writer and, and what keeps the job very interesting for me is every time I write it's a book, it's something new. And it's almost like having an entirely new job because I do do a ton of research and you get into this world for a few years that you then are done with and you leave behind and you hopefully have a book at the end of it, but you then start another one. And that's what keeps interesting that's what keeps the city fresh for me all that stuff one of the things i really am disappointed about my life i mean i don't know why some people say they don't have regrets but i didn't mean to bring your writing into this no no not my i don't have regrets about my writing because i don't publish yet but it's just gonna be a business book all my stupid stories i've been an entrepreneur since 18 Own my own companies since 18 i wish i'd written all the books i had of employee stories because i've had thousands of employees um 
I wish I could have saved all the stories and they're starting to get lost in the 53 year old brain, but I could have written four books off of just employee stories alone. Uh, it would have been like a Harvey McKay, you know, just endless thing. And it'll probably be a Harvey McKay style book of all my stupid stories. Um, but, uh, um, getting back to uh, what we were talking about, uh, um, I segued and now I lost track. Uh, <laughs> 53 yeah. is not that old, Chris. Oh man, dude. It's uh you can't drink like you used to. And I used to be able to write really beautifully. Like I'm, me and Hemingway have a thing with drinking and writing. Right. Um, but, uh, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's an, it's an interesting path. So American subversive was the political uh, yeah. book. Yeah, and uh, and that one, New York Times Notable Book of the Year, and then uh, you did the memoir. Uh, seemed like a good idea at the time. I'm kind of interested in that too, as well, because you have such a an interesting path with your resume. Yeah, the memoir was, you know, as we were talking about a little bit, it was about all these crazy jobs and relationships, and basically a New York life in your 20s, and uh, when you really are just trying to figure it out and trying to stay above water, and you. I didn't, some people do, of course, like I, my roommate in college wanted to be a doctor and he became a doctor and there was never any question what he was going to do, but I, I wasn't that lucky or unlucky depending. And like, I, I didn't have it figured out and I'm not sure you're supposed to have it figured out when you're 22 <laughs> years old. I think that people should go to college in their twenties and not in their teens. Cause I'm so like, I became more and more interested in learning in my twenties and thirties. And am I, and I kind of wasted my college career, uh, not wanting to be in the classroom. I think people get more interested in the world later on in life, but that's another subject for another day. <laughs> uh, that that was, book was about all of these kind of sidelines you take getting to where you want to be and in relationships too. And with your family, you just like learn stuff and gain perspective. I think in that, in your twenties, it's such a, a dramatic time. Uh, and it's not, you're not wasting it, even though it seems that you're just, are wasting it at the time. Um, <laughs> women are much more uh, just ahead of men at that time. Like, I think that just like, uh, and they have things figured out a bit more and you just feel as a dude, you just feel a bit lost sometimes. And you're some, you know, family expectation is still such a big thing in the world. Although I think that's lessening a bit. Uh, but you just, you know, um, and I think the more creative people are, the more trouble they have figuring out who they want to be and what they want to do and stuff. And, and that book I kind of wrote to be like, hey, I think it's, you know, I think it's okay to not have it all figured out. I think you need a goal at the end of the day, of course, but and you need to support yourself, but like uh, take the pressure off yourself a bit and like live a bit of life and like, you know, the world doesn't end for you at 35. Like just, you know, chill and like figure it out and it's going to usually work out, I think. There you go. You know, that, that reminds me of what, where I got lost on my segue. Um, the, <laughs> the one big regret I have in life is not really identifying that life is a collection of stories. Of course. That's really what you are. You're kind of a story catcher. Yeah. And, and uh, the fabric of stories and, and the fabric of life. And I never really understood that. I just always went, well, there's movies, TVs, and books, and you watch them, and I don't know, that's something to do. But but uh, it never really occurred to me until I was about 50. And I'd been writing stories because when I used to drink a lot, I used to write a lot. And uh, most of it's just crap. I posted about my opinions and went around Facebook and stuff. We've all seen that or put on this podcast if you go back a few hundred episodes. Um, but but uh, 
the thing I realize is that is that this is really the 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 beauty, the tapestry of life is is stories and the collecting of them and the and the and the things you learn from them. And to me, that's the real fabric of life. I don't know. I, I think so. Uh, I'm in in real life always interested in the storytellers, the people yeah. just not necessarily full of shit, but just like the ones who are vibrant and alive and, and, the, and, 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 you know, New York's full of them. Everywhere's full of them, but New York is full of them. And uh, uh, those are the people I gravitate towards. Those are the people I love to hang out with in my own work life. I love to try to tell those stories. I love mm-hmm. to like take everything in, in the real world and kind of, you know, make something coherent out of it and spit it back out in books if I can a little bit. But the problem with books is that they really have to, be glued together. You have to have a narrative arc. You have to have an idea of how to tell a story succinctly, even though this book is 400 pages, but like in a, in a kind of way that a reader is going to keep turning those pages. And that is what learning to write, I think really means. A lot of people are good with words. A lot of people have great stories to tell, but you have to figure out how to glue it all together and how to tell it. And of course, when you sell a book, you have an editor you work with and uh, that helps a lot. But, um, you have to have a feeling for that. And that's some, it's not, it's something you can learn actually. It's something you can go to school for and learn something you can read other books and figure out how these writers are doing it. And I think when I first realized I, I should maybe be a writer is because I was reading books in a different way than I watched a movie or that I went and listened to a band. Uh, I read books kind of trying to figure out what the writer was doing or why he or she was making certain choices in the narrative where I go to a movie and it's entertainment for me. I want to sit back and I don't really care how it got made or who the cinematographer was or what choice was, you know, what the director's cut has that the regular movie doesn't. I don't like, like, I don't care. And I feel the same way about music. If it's great, I just want to listen to it and lose myself in it. But books, I kind of wanted to get underneath and underneath the hood and figure out, what stitched it together, what the author was trying to do, what works and what doesn't and why it works and doesn't. And that to me, I started thinking to myself, well, if I feel that passionately about it, maybe I should be like actually trying to do it myself. And um, so, yeah, like life is stories and very much so, uh, but writing is figuring out how to tell that story. And put the images in people's heads. I mean, that's, that's the biggest challenge. You don't have the, you know, it's very easy to put stuff up in video and audio format and present it because, you know, you can see what it is. Sure. But when you're writing a book and a novel like yours, um, you have to paint the pictures in people's heads. And so you've got to be able to put them there and, and, and flush them out, like you say, the character development and, and create the imagery that keeps people engaged in, in what was going on. And uh, to me, that's, that's quite a bit more bigger challenge than, you know, a movie or a or a, yeah, well, I get asked all the time why I'm not writing screenplays because they're, they're TV, <laughs> because we're living in you know quite literally the golden age of television. Like TV is great. TV shows are smart right now. They're engaging. They're just you know a lot of them are coming from books, obviously. But like TV writing, I think is the best it's ever been in my lifetime. And uh, and of course some movies, but most most of the good stuff is now serialized TV. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's still somebody else's thing, right? The writer is writing for the actors and for the director to then figure out the writing is the skeleton and the actors turn it into the art. Mm -hmm. The book, it's all the author still, right? It's all you creating that world and visualizing the world for the reader. And, and that difference to me is still 
No, I, I also don't really know how to write screenplays or TV stuff. I haven't done much of it, but uh, uh, it's not quite as interesting to me as writing novels and delivering a piece of art fully formed. Well, what's the uh, What's the line from Get Shorty? Uh, you just write a bunch of shit and start out with Once Upon a Time, and then at the end you put Fade Out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's true. Uh, a lot of rewriters and rewriters. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you just, that's all you do. I, I always love that line that he has from Get Shorty, the movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, the book Kings County paints a beautiful um, layout, and especially in the beginning. I mean, you feel like you're in a club, yeah. a whole club experience, and then going through – uh, everything else, I, I may learn everything about uh, New York by the time I get done, or at least the salient parts. But, you know, I've wandered New York in the middle of the night. I've been in that situation where the taxis are gone, and you're just yeah. like, you're you're down at some you're down at some whiskey bar, and you're like, how far is the hotel? We got to hike. And... The, uh, the male character in the book, uh, Theo Gorski, is a great wanderer. He's a kind of what the French used to call flaneur, like a person who just like, would rather walk to get someplace uh, mm-hmm. than take an Uber or Subway. And that's a very rare, it used to be everybody did. It's a very rare thing now. Uh, but he like takes the time to, he's so, he's so thrilled and also mystified by the city that he wants to like experience it in full all the time as much as he can. And he looks up at the buildings and nobody else looks. He notices the terracotta, like stuff that people don't, see or don't stop to see like everyone i know goes place they are you know that's i'm sure everybody in the world does now you get an uber right out front of your apartment delivers you right to the restaurant or club or wherever you're going uh and you don't experience the in between you don't experience the city you're in or the town you're in uh and i made his character that way because i wanted to bring the city back into the equation of the book i wanted to have that visceral experience i wanted people to slow down uh, in the same way that writing books is a little weird in this day and age of 10 minute attention spans, like spending yeah. four years on something is so foreign to people. Like I still like, I've, you know, friends that are in their twenties who are like, why dude? Like wow. there's so much other stuff to do that it doesn't take four years. Like, and I'm like, but is there really like, are you going to remember that stuff? Is it like, you know, yeah, your TikTok video is going to be there for, forever but i don't know like is that important i don't know it's um it it can seem anachronistic uh to be writing novels in this day and age but i also tend to think they're still important and that they mean a lot to the people that read them i think so too i mean the media that we've done on the chris foss show like our youtube videos they've been up there for like 11 years yeah and i get emails every time someone comments on one and I'll get emails from stuff we did in like 2012, 2011. Yeah. Um, sometimes they think those products are still current. They'll ask me for advice. Yeah. But I get like, and sometimes they just get on there and they do, do discussions about stuff. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on in my video? Yeah. I'm amazed at how much people consume media and, yeah. and the, the breadth of interest and the breadth of the thing. Um, but yeah, I wish I'd figured out the story thing earlier. I kind of had, I had a, you know, I would come home from my office every day and owning companies. We had multiple companies, uh, over a hundred employees at any given time. And every day I come home with stories and I come home with my girlfriend and be like, Oh man, you can't believe what happened today. And I mean, there was just always some crazy employee story I had or some crazy business story. Yeah. And I would come home and I'd like have I don't know, two to three stories I'd unload on her. And then I'd be like, what happened to you? And she was the manager for a flight attendant uh, for flight attendants for Delta. And, uh, and then she'd have to step in and fly if they called in sick and crap. Um, so sometimes she would 
you know, in my day, just going to work, she'd been in three cities and, you know, three different airplane rides with several hundred people that are crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, and, and then, you know, she'd be hanging, you know, she'd stay overnight in New York or Chicago or wherever. And, uh, and, and so I'd be like, so what stories do you have? And she's like, nothing. I'm like, nothing happened to you today? Like, no, you went to three cities, saw, you know, 600 people or whatever in, in planes and, and do you have zero stories? Yeah. And she's like, no, nothing. I've always thought the flight attendants, like it, the great flight attendant memoir is just sitting there waiting to be written. Oh, yeah. There's so I mean, many in-flight stories of absolute insanity. Like people are not on their best behavior on airplanes. And like, yeah. you really get to see a cross section. I mean, we see it every day in viral clips now, right? Like. It's just, I mean, it, the stories are sitting there waiting to be told. And I'm sure there are great memoirs. I just haven't read them. But, yeah. uh, like, that is a, yeah. And so that made me appreciate stories. I, I didn't really get it at the time, and I'd been telling stories for a long time. Yeah. But I never really appreciated the medium of what I was doing. In fact, I sat down with my niece and nephew when they turned 18 this year, and I said, look, life is a collection of stories. Go out and think of yourself as a story collector because you're going to learn stuff. That's why I love this show is because I can have people on that I can learn from. I can learn their journey, the map of what they did, how they did it. And I think when I was younger, I thought that, well, there was like only certain ways to really make it in life or something. I don't know, like kind of a narcissistic sort of view. But now you learn that the, that the, the fabric of life is quite expansive and multifaceted and it's a complex journey. And, and, uh, and sometimes at the end of life, that's that's really all you're going to remember. Like I, I'm going to be remembering all the stories. Hopefully, when I'm sitting on the porch and some of the things I learned from those stories that are. And at the end of the me. day, uh, one of my favorite episodes of yours was when you had uh, Eddie Bob Jr. on uh, mm-hmm. to talk about James Baldwin, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a wonderful episode. And I, you know, you. was listening to him, and of course, I'd read The Fire Next Time in school, but I hadn't really thought about it. And uh, of course, with everything going on today, uh, that podcast episode made me go back and pick that book up again and so at the at the beginning of all these stories at the beginning of all this you know interaction is the book so often you know and like uh it's it's still there for the historical record whether it's fiction or non-fiction and um uh, you know that's what just here a man like james baldwin what he's going to be remembered by is the written word and of course Mm -hmm. there's some great videos of him as we were discussing too but like his thoughts or his purer thoughts are, are on the page. And, uh, uh, you know, the world of books is, is to me a, a wonderful and complete world. It's great. The, and, and it's, it's so funny uh, about how you could literally resurrect him today and everything that he was talking about, pretty much the same sort of problems we're having. Like, it's Unless like so. a, it's like a ghost talking from 55 years ago going, yeah. uh, you're still here, you idiots. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, that's the beauty of book writing and, and, uh, and what you've done with your novels and your memoir and stuff is putting this down and, and people appreciate this stuff, whether it's uh, a current issue or whether it's memorializing, you know, like, like I mentioned last night, I watched Chinatown and I've, I watched Chinatown a million times. I don't think I ever watched it from front to beginning, from beginning to end. Um, and so I actually watched it from beginning to end cause there's parts that I missed. Um, and, uh, and wow, just to just to revisit that story, even though I haven't seen it for a lot of times, <clears throat> but a lot of people just dig into 
uh, why a story is important and how it works. Does your next book, are you thinking about making a novel? You mentioned it might be about money or finance. Uh, my next book, so I, it is very difficult to write about the current environment, like contemporary America, I, I think right now. A, everything is changing so quickly. A book for me takes, you know, a few years to write, or three or four years to write sometimes. Uh, and A, you have the problem of technology, right? So technology that we're using now in five years is going to be ridiculous in the book. My first book has telephone booths in it. And, you know, 25-year-olds <laughs> can be like, what the hell, what? What, you have a scene in a phone booth? Like, what is that? Yeah. And it sounds absurd to us, but, like, it's not absurd to them. They don't even know what you're talking about. Um, and so that makes something a bit anachronistic right off the bat because it just technology is moving so, so fast. But like, you know, we're all just engulfed in the world of Trump right now. Is that something people are going to want to revisit five years from now? Or are they going to be like, oh, God, I don't want to talk about that anymore. It, or like or coronavirus or whatever it is, just like it is very difficult to like a lot of writer friends I know are writing dystopian books right now about virus is taking over the world because the ones that are already out are doing so well because they kind of foretold what's going on. And, uh, I, I might, I, I'm going to try my hand at, um, I think a little bit of literary or a bit of historical fiction. Uh, I'm very interested in a specific robbery that happened in Europe uh, at the end of world war two where the mm-hmm. money went missing. And I want to trace that mu- missing money uh, in fiction because nobody actually knows in real life where it went. Uh, and see how money affects people and what choices people make for good and bad uh, when they are faced with financial situations they they're not used to. And to me, that's, it's such an interesting part of the world that is, is very, probably very difficult to, um, uh, to write about in fiction, to make dramatic. Uh, but I, I'd like to give it a go. I always like a really good challenge, and I want to always do something I haven't tried before. And, of course, money does make the world go around. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm just starting to do a lot of research on that uh, now that I've finished this this one. And um, there you go. Well, this would be a good escape hatch for people to take and get pick up your book, Kings County. We'll give it a plug there um, because it can go to a better time that we were, uh, you know. Did- <laughs> Certainly, we could all use a love story right now. We could use a love story, and, and yeah, and and uh, you know, part of that's uh, we 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 look at. That's why I love stories, and like, of course, I love the guests on my podcast, like yourself, is is the, their experience and what they learn and going through uh, what are challenging times for them, and and a lot of times we come back to that. Um, you know, I've had times where I poured out my soul. Uh, when people have died around me, when my dogs died was a, was a really hard time for me. Um, I had a one dog that was like a year and a half in cancer hospice care. And so I bled out a lot during that journey onto social media. And what was interesting for me was I, I, at first I was like worried about sharing it. I'm like, maybe I'm oversharing this experience. But then I was like, I, I got to get this out or it's going to fester. Um, and what was interesting to me, how many people came back from my stories and went, that really helped me. That really inspired me. I realized that I hadn't got closure from my dad's death. And just like all this, all this, uh, 
I don't know what you call it, but this expansion of touching people and moving people. And I think that's what people get from love stories of crisis stories of, you know, it, it, everyone has that fantasy of, like you say, coming to New York or moving to the big city. And so they always wonder what that journey is. And, you know, a lot of people like me chicken out and don't go for it, but they can read your book and they can live through the fantasy, if you will. There's always some vicarious living in literature. Absolutely. But uh, it's, it's not always the answer. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, great life in, uh, in the rest of America as well. But yeah, I mean, that's what definitely this book is about. So. The times I've gone to New York, I kind of have a perspective because for about 10 years, I really tried hard to be a good photographer. Nothing great, but I really tried to be a photographer. And so when we went to New York or uh, Chicago, what I would do is I'd literally just wander. And I usually like to wander later in the evening when the streets are, you know, I'm not having to deal with people and crap because I don't like people that much. Uh, I mean, I like people, but I'm not a big crowd dude like New York. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, so I got a chance to wander New York at night and uh, see the Empire State Building, take pictures of it, uh, eat at the pizza places, and wander the streets, interact with people. Um, to me, that that was just the real, that real sort of gritty sort of fabric. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. Um, in Chicago, when I go to Chicago. Uh, a lot of times if I can figure out how to pull it off, they actually have like a car service that will zip you to the airport yeah. and they'll pick you up anywhere on any corner. And so what I'll do is I'll have my day bag with me and my cameras and then I'll just, I just wander Chicago. Yeah. Like I don't, like I don't need to have an agenda. Like I just yeah. go, I like, I, I think the first time I went, I was like, okay, we got a pizza, go to the big park. And my friends are like, you just want us to drop you? Like, in the middle of Chicago somewhere. And I'm like, yeah, just do it. And, uh, and then I just wander and just, yeah. just, just pick up the ambiance. And, and a lot of people don't like the, like you mentioned earlier, that a lot of people don't do that. They don't look Maybe up in New York. a place where you can feel comfortable alone. You can mm-hmm. eat alone at a bar and not feel like a weirdo. You can walk alone and see groups of people and not be, you know, just, it's just a place where amongst the millions, mm-hmm. like, you can also be solitary and uh, it's really cool in that way. Yeah. In fact, now I'm hungry for that pizza. <laughs> that pizza <laughs> I stopped at a bunch of them cause I was like, Oh, well, I'll try this pizza. Cause you got to try it all. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course. And uh, you gotta, you gotta soak up the city, but um, yeah. And, 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 and I, I think it's great that it's captured and stuff like this. So David, we could talk forever and I'd love to have you back on the show. Anytime you want to have on me, we should do a, we should do a little workshop on how to be a writer and how to be, a, how to write books. I don't know if you are. <laughs> I'm still learning myself, <laughs> but uh, there's the journey, the story of the yeah. journey. And, and that's how we get there. Uh, so anything more you need about Kings County, if you want to give it some final plug. Uh, I would just say, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for having like a long form show where a writer can actually discuss the work. So much of the publicity we do is like a, a tiny three sentence thing in people magazine or entertainment weekly. And like nobody ever know or somebody holding up your book on Instagram and nobody ever knows about the book. So it's really, I appreciate the long form thank you. format of this. And I would just say, yeah, it's Kings County. Um, this is what it looks like. There you go. Player is bad. Pick it up. Uh, I mean, out tomorrow, um, September, July 28th. And uh, that is the Williamsburg Bridge right on the cover, which plays a large role in the book. There's a bit of a murder mystery at the heart of it, which uh, I don't want to give much away, but it is a book hopefully that um, strikes that balance between the nice character driven uh, love story and a kind of suspenseful kind of 
mystery novel as well. And um, I really hope you enjoy it. My website's davidgoodwillie.com. You can uh, buy it at all the places from there. And um, yeah, Chris, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I, I have loved these long term, uh, these long things. Like I had some author say to me, is it a whole hour? And I'm like, yeah. But the beautiful part is people get to know you. And yeah. I think that sells books better too, because people go, who's the guy writing this thing? Yeah. Um, and I always want to know the story behind the book. Like it's fascinating to me how an author arrives at the, what they write. Uh, and that's, this allows for that. So yeah. And it's a great time to read uh, books like this because you can go back to a nice romantic area pre coronavirus <laughs> and pre everything, you know, burning down and yeah. you can remember how it used to be and, uh, although what's interesting is that was, you know, they were going through own crises at that time. And, yep. and, and that seemed like an existential sort of experience. I'm sure. Yeah. Right now the, <laughs> city, the city's not quite as fun right now as it was back then, but yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing better than you were. I'm glad you guys are getting there and hopefully we can get you guys stayed there. Cause that was yeah. quite the experience to watch. Uh, you yeah. guys go through I, all that. I also just, uh, I listened to uh, one of the episodes I listened to recently was your episode back in March when the coronavirus was first hitting. And oh, wow. you had this amazing episode where you came on and you were like, I'm not sure what the future is going to be or what the world's going to look like, but like, you know, buckle your seatbelts and be nice to each other. And like, it was, it was an amazingly heart felt, episode it was i think only 20 minutes long but i loved it and uh thank you it, it kind of stands the test of these months very well thank you i'm, I'm glad you said that because i often wondered about some of those episodes and i actually had to take some time off because i yeah. i was lost but a friend of mine's uh had posted who's a, a brilliant close friend of mine and he said uh he, somewhere around that time he goes there are two things you do right now either be a lifter or find a lifter right and so I'd gone through about 40 hours of depression when it really became evident, you know, and I was losing like lots of money, like yeah. just, you know, shows and stuff and everything I do, they're pretty much guaranteed money for me every year. And, you know, one week you're just like, well, I guess I don't need that $40,000. So I'll just yeah. fuck myself. And you said this thing about like keeping in mind, uh, you know, um, other parts of the country that, you know, if you live somewhere where it hadn't hit yet, it just doesn't feel like it's a real thing. And yeah. like, you know, it feels like very far away, even though we're all watching the same TV shows and the yeah. same TV news. Uh, I remember I, I, so I got Corona back in March and okay. about half the people I knew got it very quickly because it spread in New York like that. And that wow. week or two when Tom Hanks got sick and everybody where nobody thought everybody was getting it, but everybody in New York city was getting it. And I remember the rest of the world or the rest of America being like, uh, that's so weird. Like it's totally unaffected to us now. And now things have flipped and in New York, life is almost normal. And in the rest of the country, and, and I know Utah where you are, like there are, there are outbreaks all over the place. Yeah. And it's very easy, even for me who got it, uh, I didn't get it too bad, but I was sick for a couple of weeks to forget how just in peril and how dire it is. And uh, so just, I would just add to what you said, always remember that even if it's not on your block or affecting you, uh, it's a lot of other places. And uh, Yeah. It's, it's interesting how it got politicized, but that's an, that's a whole other thing. But uh, in, in the callousness of it, but I just got done reading Mary Trump's book, read it one day. Um, also Simon Schuster book. I would point there out. There you go. The Simon book. Schuster plug. <laughs> there you go. Um, the, uh, uh, in, in, uh, you know, the whole interesting thing of that, but yeah, it, it, for a couple of those episodes, I was really trying to find my voice where I was trying to find 
how do I be a carrier? Cause I, you know, I realize I have a platform and, and yeah. stuff and trying to carry people, but then you're like lost in the whole thing. Maybe there's a book there of yeah. what that experience is like, but, um, you know, I was trying to help people and then I started pulling from my tube toolbox of 2008 and, you know, we still have a lot of ugliness to go through, uh, with, uh, the economy and everything else uh, yeah. that we've done. But, uh, and then of course there's this great juxtaposition or, I don't know, maybe you call it a fork in the road where we have to find out what happens in November and, yeah. and where this country goes and where the coronavirus goes actually, I think is dependent upon that. So uh, that will be that. That will make for some interesting history books, I'm sure. And it's affecting us all. So hopefully, we figure out a way to all come together a little bit. Yeah. It it has been. You know, maybe you should write a love story about time and the coronavirus. Or uh, something. Yeah, I love it. The corona. Yeah. Tinder, <laughs> Tinder, and the coronavirus, or something. There, there's been a lot of breakups that I'm through my friends, but there's also been a few get get-togethers and some kids on the way. So it's been a bit of everything. You know, that's funny. It's funny because one of my friends said. Uh, she, she, his, well, one of my friends, his wife told me, she goes, there's going to be a lot of divorces after this. <laughs> Once we get out of this and on the other side, there's, yeah. there's a lot of people that got really sick of each other being locked in. <laughs> Absolutely. So maybe there's some great stories there. All I know is I really should be going to school to be a divorce attorney right now. Cause there's some business <laughs> coming. Um, I really wish I had been a divorce attorney back in the day when they legalized, uh, with the guys gay marriage because because i'm like wow that just they just doubled my business awesome sauce you know but uh there's gonna be a lot of divorces coming after this and i don't know a lot of heartbreak stories or something i don't know a lot of stories to tell that's for sure so what do you think do you, do you think we can turn this into a movie uh well i, I see we'll see uh <laughs> most of my books have been options uh and then there you go made. so we'll see it's uh, a lot of things have to go right for something that hit the, hit the big screen but um you know they're working on it out there there you go that might be an interesting thing king's county the movie see it in theaters near so you I'll come back on and, we'll, and i'll bring an actor with me and we'll talk about it again there you go i'm thinking i don't know you i guess you'll have to work out who wants to play what part and stuff and stuff exactly. yeah well, David, it's been wonderful to have you on. A great discussion. Uh, thanks, for my honest, for tuning in. Be sure to check out Kings County by David Goodwillie. And uh, you can take an order up. Uh, it'll be available tomorrow. Uh, you think you can get it on Audible and all those different formats? Get it on Audible. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, every platform, ebook, Audible, act, real hardcover book, everything, uh, anything you want. I really recommend the hardcover book because you really want to read it slow because the details that you go into and the experience and then and then you're trying to flush out the characters at the beginning. And so I had to slow down reading it because I was like, okay, who's who are these people and what are they doing? And and that gives you a better understanding of how the book plays out as you go through it. So I encourage my audience to check it out. Uh, also, if you're in my audience, uh, you hopefully saw this either on YouTube.com or just Chris Voss. If not, you can. Uh, you can also go to the CBPN, check out all nine podcasts. You'll also see this episode appearing on Book Author Podcasts and Chris Voss Podcasts, if you're wondering why I have a different announcement at the show for the beginning of that. And uh, we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to check it out. We've got a, lots of great authors that are coming on the show, like David, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing him again as well, hopefully in the future, especially for future books. Um, I think it was all the plugs. That's it, people. Wear a mask, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> I ran out of plugs. <laughs>